I'm Ella Majors with Sexy Fit Vegan, and I'm with SoFlow Vegans. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the SoFlow Vegans podcast. I am your host and founder of SoFlow Vegans, Sean Russell. On this episode, we have Ella Majors, also known as the Sexy Fit Vegan, joining us to talk about her vegan journey, as well as health tips, information on how to deal with family members when you're going vegan, and so much more. A lot of knowledge packed into this episode, so make sure you listen all the way through, because of course, at the end, we have our special feature of a song dealing with the vegan plant-based space, and this one is sure to bring a smile to your face, especially if you uh, grew up in the 90s. So make sure you listen all the way through to that. As a quick note, we had some technical issues in the studio. We lost power and subsequently lost audio for around the first 20 minutes. So we used audio from a video that we were recording, so it's going to sound a little off. So just letting you know, when you listen to it, it gets better. And I want to thank you so much. And as a special thank you, we want to extend a special discount to you guys from one of our partners, Clean Machine. And you can get 15% off your order by using code SOFLOWDMA at checkout. So go to Clean Machine and go to their website and you will be able to get that 15% off by using the code. And welcome back to the SoFlow Vegans podcast. We're so excited to be back at HGAP Studios. I feel like it's been like since season two, since we've been here recording back in the studio. And of course, our guest today is Ella Majors. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. Thank you for inviting me, Sean. And I was telling you before we started that I had you in my mind to be on the show for the longest. We've had the opportunities to be on the stage at Seafood and Wine. I introduced you and Tori and I think Corinne Sutton at one point. I had your pictures, all, I had all three of your pictures like all over our website. So, but um, I'm excited to have this conversation with you to find out what's been going on with you, to let our audience know more about everything that you've done and what you're doing right now. Some exciting things, listeners. So just tune in and listen all the way through because some really cool things that you're doing that I would love to share with this amazing community. So one of the things we start off with with all our podcasts is the vegan origin story. So what were those seeds that were planted? How did you get to the point you are at right now? Yes, so my journey started when I was seven years old. So here's, here's what happened. I got in the car after school one day. Uh, my mom had picked me up to take me to gymnastics practice. And she asked how my day was. I said, well, it was great, except we learned about this guy named Daniel Boone. And for any of the listeners that don't know Daniel Boone, he's one of our first American folk heroes. And he wore a raccoon hat and carried around a shotgun, lived in the wilderness. And I said, Mom, this guy was so mean, he shot animals and he ate them. And my mom was honest with me, and she said, well, Ella, you know, we're, we're just very fortunate. Now we get to go to the grocery store to buy our meat. And it was at that moment, Sean, that a light bulb went off. And I just couldn't believe that I had been eating animals. Mm-hmm. 
And it, it was horrifying to me. And I said, well, if that's the case, I'm never doing that again. And for me, that was it. <laughs> I never ate meat wow. again. And that was when I was seven, by the time I was 15. And, and I really became somewhat of an activist at that age. Well, I look back at school writings and I was talking about how it doesn't make sense. Why are we eating animals when there are so many other options? And so by the time I was 15, I fully understood the whole uh, animal agricultural industry and how they're all connected and became vegan and became an animal rights activist in my teens. Wow. Okay. So that's, that's, you know, I've heard so many stories and that's amazing that you got it so, you know, young Mm -hmm. and were able to actually follow through because a lot of times when you're that young, even if you wanted to go vegan, like my nephew, he wanted to go vegan when he was like six or seven, but it's like, you have to be, have, be able to have that support. And so talk to me a little bit about that. Like, obviously you didn't go vegan by your, you know, you had your family and things of that nature. What did that look like? Yeah, so my family thought it would be a phase, Mm. because that's what you think about a kid, you know, and like you said, most people don't stick with it, but it became clear to them uh, very quickly that it wasn't a phase. I would pick out, you know, the sides. I would always just, I'd eat the sides, and eventually, you know, they weren't making modifications until they saw all I was going to eat was the sides, so then they started to uh, incorporate more sides as main meals, and Uh, So eventually, a few years later, my dad went vegan, Uh, my younger sister went vegan, my mom is now vegan, my younger sister is now, uh, she's four years younger than me, she now has three vegan children and a vegan boyfriend, Uh, so it's kind of just, you know, snowball effect, and uh, everyone's kind of followed in my path. That's awesome. So, so what was the lesson for you with that? Like, how did you take that with you as you're becoming an advocate and speaking out about veganism? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because, because my family kind of got on board, I had it in my head that it's just that people don't know, right? They don't, they don't know what's going on behind the closed doors of factory farms. I didn't know when I found out, I went vegetarian and then I went vegan. Uh, So in my teen years, when I started to be an activist and I would, at 15, before I could drive, I was planning all these protests, you know, around town and leafleting. And I sat in uh, cages on the side of the road (laughs) with signs that was demonstrating how much room a chicken has in a factory farm or a laboratory animal. I think it's awesome that you have like a big vegan family. Yes, I just love it. And, And my sister's boyfriend was not vegan when... They met, but mm-hmm. he went vegan. Mm-hmm. Um, so before they had their first child, so they're like conceived vegan. Oh, like, I'm so okay. fascinated by children who get to enter this world having as like, a ve- yeah total vegan, um, and just how beautiful that is. It is amazing children. I think for for like most vegans, it's like a dream come true for their family to also follow like that path. Yeah, there was like this survey. Um, one of the, the vegan Facebook groups, well, they just asked a question and then had like 200 some responses. And mm-hmm. I, I wrote out, I was like, okay. Then the question was, what's your biggest challenge basically, mm-hmm. um, going or staying vegan. And, uh, as it turns out, it was like by far non-vegans was the hardest part uh-huh. just being in a world with non-vegans, having family members as non-vegans, mm-hmm. you know, just not having that support. Yeah, exactly. So, yes, I'm, like, so super fortunate. Oh, 
my god, that's amazing. Yeah, what about you? Where's where's your family? My family is not vegan, but like honestly, that would be a dream come true if they ever like followed that path. That's I, you know, you keep trying no matter what. Yeah. I think every vegan does like, you know, you just keep trying with your family. I think that's like the most hardest people to um kind of like convince. I mean, in your situation it doesn't seem like it was cuz everybody kind of just like one after the other just yeah, I don't vegan. know, you know, I don't I don't know what like I don't know what it was exactly. My younger sister was was 4 years younger, so I think she just looked up to her older sister. Yeah, yeah. Right? So I get that. Um but my my parents my dad was already open to it. He was kind of a hippie back in the day. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. so that was that was fine. My mom kind of cut out a lot of it, um, but until she got colon cancer. Uh, Ooh, no way. Yeah, um, seven or eight years ago. Okay. Then she, she turned vegan. Okay, and now wow. And now we talk about it, and she's like, I can't believe I was ever not vegan. You know, like, once you get to that place where it's, yeah. it's the norm, and you're like, ew. You reflect on, on your past and, like, everything about you being a non-vegan. Like, I still think about it sometimes. I'm like, jeez, I'm disgusting. Like, <laughs> how could I? So, I was under this impression that if only people knew, right? If only people knew what was going on behind the closed doors of factory farms, that they'd go vegan like me. And so, when I set out to do this activism, it was about spreading awareness and opening the door for people to open their minds and their hearts. And I have to tell you, it was a bitter pill to swallow mm -hmm. when I found out that people, a lot of people just don't want to know. They are not ready to know. They will look the other way. They will get defensive. They will get angry. Um, and I had to, I had to see that for myself. I had to learn that for myself. And it was, it affected me in a lot of ways, in some ways I didn't realize until later. And it has to do with me feeling like I failed the animals. And that some of the pain that I'm working through that I didn't really know was even there mm -hmm. was this, it's like a, a shame thing that I tried everything I could for so long and I failed, you know, at least in my mind. Yeah. And I think that that really affected me throughout my adulthood as well. So, I mean, you're at the most formative stage in your life. You're really digging deep into animal advocacy, animal rights. Take us through what happens next with you. What, what's that next chapter of your journey? Yes. I'm glad you said chapters because I feel like I have so many chapters in my life. And that was one. The next uh, chapter was me going off to college and having a really uh, rough time in college. And I think, you know, looking back, there was a lot of pain in there. And also thinking back, this is, you know, 1998 when I graduated from high school and thinking about just the world at that point where a lot of people didn't even know what the word vegan meant. You know, very few people around me could see the world at, through the eyes or through the lens of how I was seeing it as, as an ethical vegan. And I think that was really hard for me too at a time when you're wanting to connect with other people and build community. Uh, so I, I, was, I was a tough kid. I, I did lots of drugs, lots of alcohol. I, I had a, the rest of my college years was a lot of depression and anxiety and, and that carried over. Uh, I think the 
knowledge that I had a mission still, I think that saved me. I really do, because it's always been in my heart since I'm seven that I've got to save him. I gotta change the world. So even though I was like numbing my pain with drugs and alcohol, I still had this mission that I knew I couldn't give up. So it was this wild kind of ride and I did great in college. I got my degree in social work, did very well. And uh, then I went on to the next chapter, which was getting into the fitness industry. And before we get into that part of it, it's, for me, you hit something, a nail on the head right there. One of the things that I have connected my life to is helping young people find their purpose. A lot of people say it's too young, I need to figure things out. But, and that's, this is just, for me, the human condition, is that having that, um, having that North Star, having that vision it creates and opens doors and opportunities for you because you're actively looking for that. And for you to know what that is, and you know, we're going to get into the other chapters of your life, but I'm immediately seeing how all of it is connected to this greater purpose that you have. And it just looks different. You know, whatever it is you're doing, it's all for that same, you know, that purpose. So that, that was huge, that, that share that you just said. Yeah, I think you make such a great point there about helping young people really look at, look at that for themselves, in part because, you know, we get programmed, right? If we talk about our, our programming, and a lot of that happens in the first, you know, seven, eight years of our lives. Sure. And if we can get to kids at that, at that time, and when they're still kind of open to being programmed, but have an opportunity to program themselves mm -hmm. if they really think for themselves and not just accept what society or what their parents or what their teachers are telling them as truth. Uh, because the older you get, the harder it gets to reprogram. Yeah. Yeah. And the harder it is to even recognize that the program you have isn't necessarily yours, mm -hmm. right? That it was, it was kind of forced on you in a way. Uh, but a lot of times we don't know that and we just give away so much power. Mm thinking, this is who I am, but is this who you are? You know, it's where you told you were stupid as a kid, yes. and then you believe it, mm -hmm. and you don't know that's a program, so you just truly believe you're stupid. Mm -hmm. You don't know that every belief you have, every thought you have, doesn't make it true. Yeah. And then there's a, there's a point, and the thing, I'm like, I've gone through different courses and different things to kind of, I guess, reprogram myself, and realizing the work that went into doing that, and that's not accessible to a lot of people, whether it's, you know, not financially accessible or they just don't know it exists. And I feel like we're these walking computers that we are not given a manual on how to, to operate and how to make it work. So you see these things happening to the animals and you feel something, but then you don't, you know, you're, you're really fortunate to be to have the, the personality you have and to have the family that you have to be able to devote your life to something like that. And I feel like there's people who may be listening to this who feel who might feel the same way. So that's why it's important for us to share our stories so that way we can see, oh, it is possible. I just have to, I get to find my community, my tribe mm -hmm. that can support me. It may not come from your family. It may, it may be, you know, hey, let's find a SoFlow Vegans. Let's find another mm -hmm. organization and volunteer and share our time with other people who can go to uh, 
I was gonna say the name of a restaurant, but and go to <laughs> go to X Y Z restaurant and have that experience. So yeah, that's that's really awesome. And really quickly, really rude of me. We have Lauda in oh. the building as <laughs> well. Here. She's here, and so you I'm might chilling. hear some might hear some voices <laughs> in the background. Like wait. Who is that? That's <laughs> like Sean. Yeah, Lauda, thank you so much for yeah, you know being on the show as well. So um, yeah, so let's go now into the fitness chapter of well, one chapter, I guess, of the fitness part of your life. Yes, yes absolutely. So I kind of uh changed my methods of activism at that moment. Uh when I when I went into the fitness industry, it was now let me inspire people. And how can, I, how can I reach people in a way that will help them open their minds? Well, everybody wants to be fit. Everybody wants a rockin' body, you know? And uh, so if I can be fit, have a rockin' body, and be vegan, and just share that, maybe that is the way that I can make the biggest difference. So that's the direction I went. Uh, and I loved working out anyway. I was passionate about fitness since I was five years old. So that was an easy, easy move. Um, and so I started working in the fitness industry. I became a personal trainer. I ran a few gyms. I helped open a few gyms. And all the while I was, uh, you know, in the back of my mind, I got to be the epitome of what people want to be. And women would come up to me, you know, wow, how did you get so much muscle? How did you get a body like that? And I'd be able to say, well, I'm vegan. Oh, yes. Lead <laughs> by know? example. Look at that. Yeah. Wow. And then they'd be like, oh, well, what do you eat? And I was like, wow, this is not the, you know, this is not the response I got when I was out on the street in a cage. Uh, <laughs> not to say there's something, you know, wrong about that. It just was like, okay, I'm getting, you know, received a lot differently now. Mm-hmm. And I did uh, decide to compete in a bodybuilding competition. Uh, I said, you know what, I'm going to compete until I get first place in uh, the bikini division. So I competed and got first place in the bikini division. Oh, I love it. I could check that off my (laughs) list because it's not really my thing. That is a pain in the butt. Have you ever ever been around the bodybuilders? It's just so much. uh, (laughs) And then the the tanning and it's a lot. I mean, mad respect to Tori Washington and Mm -hmm. Corinne Sutton and they just go and go and go and I'm I'm in all of them, I will have to say. So you were in bodybuilding competitions in the bikini division got first place you got that checked off on your list so then what happened after that well part of this chapter was also a period of of a lot of disordered eating and a distorted body image and so in this quest to be this perfect you know person to represent the vegan community i really didn't pay attention to being confident and relying on just me being me and being okay with that. So a lot of emphasis in the, in the fitness industry, you know, it's not really about health. It's so much about what you look like on the outside. Mm -hmm. So this was adding to, you know, I was still had a lot of depression and anxiety and, and still numbing my pain to a degree. And now I started numbing my pain with food. I mean, I could eat an entire jar of peanut butter in one sitting. Wow. And, and yep, say wow because <laughs> that's an accomplishment right there. So I, I this was a that was part of that chapter as well. And then how so going through that experience, like what kept you going? Like what was your rock? How did you 
you know, maneuver through that? Because obviously you're sitting here right now and I can't begin to, you know, guess what your life is like. But I mean, obviously that's something that you can look back at, right? Thank goodness. Okay. Yes. Thank goodness I can look back at that. So this kind of went on and, and I started to feel like I wasn't moving in the direction I wanted to move in in my life. Now, my rock has been and always will be the animals. I, that is just always there. That is always going to keep me moving forward and growing and never giving up because it's, again, it's not about me. It's about it's about the animals. So what do I need to do? However, I didn't realize how much healing I needed to do to be a better advocate for animals. And so in 2013, let's fast forward uh, several years to 2013, I said, it's time. People are starting to like get on board the vegan train or at least be open to it. Time to move back to my vegan roots. And I founded Sexy Fit Vegan, the brand as a way to help bring veganism into the mainstream. So I said, what sells? Sex sells. So <laughs> what can I name this that will attract more people? And that's why I named it Sexy Fit Vegan. Yes. And, and what was, how did that come together? You know, because what was your background in that? You know, what support did you have to be able to put together a brand? Because that's a big deal. It is. And I had, I had no idea what I was doing whatsoever. I have a friend who is a graphic designer. So I was very fortunate. She helped me out uh, to create a logo. And then I said, well, I have no idea how I'm going to make money, but I'm just going to speak my truth. I'm just going to get myself out there. I'm going to get my message out there. And this brought, you know, some more life back into me. Uh, I still had a ways to go with the disordered eating, but at least I was being more proactive in a more direct way and doing my own thing, which was exciting. And it actually got a lot of traction just from me writing a blog and me kind of reaching out to articles. And so Shape Magazine reaches out and says, we're going to name you as top 50 hottest trainers in America wow. and bodybuilding.com contacted me and said, we're giving you personal trainer of the month in the world's largest, you know, bodybuilding and fitness website. And so these little things, and then a publishing company came and said, you know, we're, we're doing more vegan cookbooks. Will you write a vegan cookbook? I was like, well, hell yeah, I will. So as again, I had no idea how I was like making a business out of it. Mm. All I knew is that I needed to just do my thing and get it out there. And so things started to, to come to me at that point. And, and this take us through that. Like, what does that feel like? Because I'm sure, like, once once the, it started rolling, the blessings just kept coming and coming. Like, how did you, did you have time to appreciate that? Or was it all just going by really quickly? Uh, it was it was going by quickly. I was still working as a trainer uh, as the way to monetize um, and, and fund everything else I was doing, pr pretty much. So I still was a little stressed out, like financially, not knowing how I was going to make a, a business out of it. All I knew is that personal training, I was not meant to be counting numbers of burpees, which I love burpees and I love fitness, but I knew that that wasn't my thing, right? So I just kept exploring and kept kind of trying to figure out what was next. And I came across some life coaching, uh, some podcasts, actually. One of my idols who I really give a lot of credit to in the life coaching space is Brooke Castillo. She's not vegan, but she really teaches a way of thinking and feeling and acting 
uh, that made sense to me. And I started really getting more mindful about what was going on with me and really starting to explore and really starting to step outside and observe myself and, and realizing that I was hiding a lot. And now I am a complete introvert. I am totally introverted. I have no desire to be in the spotlight. I do desire to do whatever it takes to be the best advocate I can be. So whatever that means, if that means I need to be the face of the, the brand, I'll be the face of the brand. If it means I need to be on the podcast, I'll be on the podcast. It's not my, you know, I don't know. It's, it's actually really tough for me, but it doesn't matter because all I have to say is for the animals. Now, I wasn't really connecting with my audience. I wasn't getting a lot of engagement, which I knew was really important, and I couldn't quite figure it out until it hit me one day. I said, I am trying to portray myself as this, like, perfect person. And who can relate to that? Right. And I said, I can't do that anymore. And so I decided to get it out there. I decided to kind of write my story real and raw in a blog post. And I had never told anybody about my disordered eating. I never told anybody I'd eaten a jar of peanut butter, you know, <laughs> and, and by myself at night one night. That was really embarrassing, and that was really uh, a source of shame for me for a very long time. And when I realized this, I said, oh, I'm getting it out there. So I put it in the blog, and I remember the moment I pushed or I clicked on publish because it was a terrifying and a very freeing moment at the same time. Yeah, so relieving. It's out there. Yeah, Yeah. and then it was out there, and then everything changed. Mm. But that's inspiring. That's inspiring to many people, especially like – after everything that you had gone through and you put it out there, you can look back at it and kind of like be proud of where you are right now. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate to your experience too. I think a lot of people can. And a lot of the clients we work with will come and say, I am so glad you told your story because Mm -hmm. I thought it was just me. Right. I thought I was all alone and I couldn't tell anybody because nobody would understand. Mm -hmm. And when I put out a masterclass on this sort of topic, people will say, you know, I've, you, I felt like, you are speaking directly wow. to me and that you get it and nobody else around me gets it. Mm-hmm. So that, that does feel really good. And, and there's so much to that, to being speaking authentically, speaking your truth, putting it out there. And especially when you're in the act of fulfilling your mission, fulfilling what you feel you've been put on this earth to do. That's powerful, and that shows up in so many spaces. And people are looking for that because ultimately, it's like we, when you dig, when I dig deep, rather, let me speak for myself, it's like there's points where you could be having the most success in your life, but then it's like even with that, you can also start to feel even more alone because it's like this is your journey, this is what you're doing, and you get to enroll people in that journey. But ultimately, it's your journey. So to be able to, like like the loudest said, to hear someone who may be going something similar to you, it's that's a very powerful thing. Mm-hmm. And on that note, what, going back to the animal advocacy, what has been one of the most eye-opening parts of this culture to you in terms of and let's look at the the advocates side of things 
what have you observed? Because you've been doing it since you were a child. What have you observed that you would love to see? I don't want to say changed, but like improved mm-hmm. in this sort of communication. Yes. So there's a lot. And I, I am admittedly someone who's kind of stayed away as as much as of a passionate vegan as I am. I've I've shied away from a lot of vegan communities because of the fact that I believe from my experience and from now my my research that a lot of the tactics that are people are going um, going about using to with the intention of spreading veganism and helping other people go vegan, but the tactics that are actually very counterproductive mm. and judgmental. I mean, I'm even nervous to be in some communities and say certain things because uh, people will jump down your throat and these are other vegans. It's yeah. true. Yeah. And, and we can, nobody's of, nobody's a perfect vegan. I mean, you cannot be a human being on this planet and be a hundred percent vegan mm-hmm. because we live here and we drive on the streets and we live in a home and how many, you know, animals got pushed out to, to, build that home? How many ants do we step on? You know, there's just unlimited ways that being a human on earth is, has negative consequences for some, some animal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I just want so badly for us to, to unite as people that have the same goal. And I, I'm very interested right now in talking about the abolitionist movement versus the reduction method Mm -hmm. and how they seem separate but they're really not in the sense that all us ethical vegans have a goal we would we want the world to be vegan Mm -hmm. we don't want any animal to be exploited or to suffer it's just about being more strategic about how we go about getting there what's the fastest path Mm -hmm. to that you know and the abolitionists are really strong on we can't promote reduction. We can't be okay with Meatless Monday because that's not fully what we believe in. You, it's not okay. Does that imply that the other days of the week, it's fine for people to eat meat if we promote Meatless Monday? So these sort of things, and it's totally fine to have different opinions, but if we can do the research and really be strategic and come together to figure out the ways to go about helping people go vegan. And sometimes those are stealth methods that need to happen, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to shifting the market. Mm-hmm. So yeah. what may seem like being weak or advocating, for example, for larger cages for the animals as opposed to you know, getting rid of all factory farms, you know, we got to think a little bit outside the box because what happens when... Those cages, we get a regulation now. Those cages have to be twice as big. What's that going to do? That's going to make that's going to make things more expensive yeah, for the farmer. The cost up. Mm-hmm. It's going to bring the cost up. Who are then going to have to pass that on to the consumer, mm-hmm. who now are going to pay more for for their meat, and they may look for alternatives. Now maybe it's just as cheap to buy a vegan meat as it is the meat, whereas before the meat was cheaper. Yeah, you know we've. Got, I'm not I'm not saying I have the answers by any yeah. means, but I'm saying let's come together and be more strategic. I like that. Yes, and I feel like 
to that point, it is looking at what is working and not even just looking at veganism, looking at other movements to see what has turned the tide. And you hear a lot of these great philosophers and world leaders from the past and look at the message that they've put out there. And a lot of it is the same. It's, it's like essentially be the change that you want to see. And you in your story earlier was a perfect example of it. You know, you were in cages, you were doing all these things, but the moment you focused on yourself and, you know, but, but created yourself as like that ideal person, they came up to you and asked the question and then they came up to you and you were able to just say, Oh, this is what I'm doing. Rather than if you want to be like me, you need to do this because I know for me personally, I do not like being told what to do. I've never mm -hmm. liked being told what to do. But my hack was I will anticipate your needs, go above that. So you never have to tell me what to do and I can have freedom to do what I want to do. That's how I did school. That's how I did my jobs and everything. So if someone's coming at me telling me go vegan, I'm going to be like, you know, and, and, and not every, and there's some people, if you tell them to go, that's, that's why I like where I am with it is like, I like to just kind of meet people where they are. If you're one, if you want to do direct action, you want to do all that. It's like, okay, if that's something that I'm not necessarily for, I get to double down on what I am for. I'd be a stand for, be a stand rather than take a position. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that a hundred percent. I do not like people telling me what to do. Mm -hmm. So yeah, if somebody says you have to do this or you need to do this, or I'm like, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I think most people have, have some sort of reaction like that. And, and I do think there's a place for all different types of activism. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't think there's a one size fits all. And I think we need, we need to show those videos because that's just the truth. Mm -hmm. I mean, that needs to be available and that people need to see that. And and it is hard when people aren't ready to see that. That's the thing. If we if we can't, those need to go to people that have a little bit of an open mind to say, I'm I'm willing to take a look yeah. and see what I may need to change in my own life. But change is so uncomfortable to people, yeah. you know. And and society has programmed us. Talk about that programming to just believe that. A dog is a pet and a pig is a meal yeah. and not question that, which is just to me, having re realized that when I was seven is, is mind blowing mm -hmm. how, how somebody doesn't see that. And I just look at people just taking care of their, their pets and spending thousands of dollars, you know, making sure that they're, they're happy and healthy and comfortable and then, and then turning around and, and eating pigs and cows and chickens yeah. and it's like they're a part of their family yeah. and they make their pets a part of their family but then they don't notice that oh at dinner time i'm gonna be eating a pig which is not so different from my dog and what yeah. i will say is i i i actually feel like people at a certain point in their life do make that connection mm -hmm. but then it's it's like you said it's you're gonna be unravel they're gonna be unraveling their entire life Exactly, and then yeah. it's and moving away from their communities, moving away from social gatherings that's where food. That's too much to think about. <laughs> that's, that's, you know, and, and it's like, whoa, like, mm -hmm. do I really want to do this? Mm -hmm. You know, do I, do I care that much about, because even when I went vegan, I, I didn't initially go vegan for the animals. I went vegan for my health. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it was through connecting with people in the community that I was able to get it. It was like, oh, 
because I knew my byproduct of me being vegan was I wasn't hurting the animals. And I was like, okay, bonus. Exactly. But then when I really started to see how deeply people connected to it and I started to think about it and it was like, oh, wow. But it was, you know, like those little, that's why what you're saying, the reduction, the reductionist, Mm -hmm. you know, methodology, it isn't necessarily, for me, it's not one or the other. It's the ability to choose. And I think what you said about meeting people where they are. Yeah. That is so key. If somebody is, you know, sick and really interested in in going plant based mm-hmm. for their health, we need to encourage them to go plant based for their health. Yeah. Because once they get there, like you said, mm-hmm. then your defenses mm-hmm. kind of go down, right? Yeah. And you say, Well, look at look at the side effect. I'm helping animals too. And then you can start to feel, you know, that compassion. So a lot of people think that we have to change the belief before we change the action. Mm. But I think maybe more times than not, it's more changing the action that will help change the belief when it comes to uh, animal rights. Mm-hmm. And because ultimately I make up that it's the person that gets to change their belief. It gets to come in from an intrinsic yes. place. Yes. And you can't be like, you go vegan because of this. It's like, hey. Here's the smorgasbord of all the <laughs> things that come with the vegan lifestyle. We have this party event over here. We have this amazing yeah. show over here. And then they can look at it and be like, okay, you know, maybe on a subconscious level, okay, is this something that I could devote the rest of my life to? Mm-hmm. And I feel like now, even more so than in the past, it's it's becoming a lot easier because you have all these celebrities that are vegan. You have all these amazing events that are adopting vegan meals. Mm-hmm. You have even down here in South Florida. Let's talk about South Florida. You have restaurants that are opening up down here, Mm -hmm. you know, from from the West Coast, (laughs) from Canada, deciding to plant their seed down here in South Florida and open up multiple multiple locations. And that's happening all across the country. So it's like veganism is starting to become cool. And veganism isn't one thing. It's a it's made up of a lot of different people, different personalities, different temperaments, religious backgrounds, political backgrounds, and you just get to find your piece of that. Mm-hmm. Yes, and like you said, always looking at yourself first, I think is really important and saying, how can I grow as a human being? How can I become the change in a, in a bigger way, in a clearer way? And knowing that that in and of itself is going to make a difference by just moving through the world, being the healthiest, happiest, um, most inspiring human being that you can be. And in, in speaking of making a difference, you, you were talking earlier about a project that you're currently involved in, in terms of like a sanctuary. You want to talk a little bit about that? I would love to. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Hogs and Kisses Farm Sanctuary. I am a VP on the board, my good friend, Anne Molina she founded uh, this sanctuary, and I actually helped and uh, inspired Anne to go vegan um, over a decade ago. And so it's kind of come full circle in that she's starting this sanctuary and asked me to be on the board. And I was like, hell yes, are you kidding me? Dream come true, I think, for a lot of vegans. But, you know, running a sanctuary, building a sanctuary is is a huge project, right? I mean, between just funding it, there's just so much more that goes into it than I ever even knew, which I'm learning along the way. But uh, back in May, we rescued our first uh, three farm pigs 
We thought they were going to be about 300 pounds. They are 700 pounds. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so we went and picked them up from a, a farm in uh, New York who uh, the farmer's wife apparently kind of fell in love with these pigs that were meant to go to slaughter and couldn't do it and needed a home for them. And Woodstock Farm Sanctuary has been very helpful. They're a huge, amazing sanctuary. And they kind of helped us out. And we sponsored them for a year while we were building our, our setup. And we went and picked them up. And so that was quite the experience, picking up three 700-pound farm pigs who had never been off the off their little land. We uh, took them to Pennsylvania to one of the top uh, veterinary clinics to get their spays. And then we welcomed them onto the farmland. And so I'm splitting my time now between South Florida and uh, right outside of Charlottesville, Virginia, where, okay. where our farm is. And I'm in love with these these girls. We've also got um, some bunnies. Oh, no way. Yes. That's lovely. <laughs> I have two bunnies. Do you? Yeah, oh. they're so cute. They're so cute. So <laughs> cute. We'll be welcoming some more of those. We'll nice. be welcoming some more pigs and some cows. Um, so we're just working on the fundraising and, and spreading the awareness around that as well and really utilizing that as an educational tool mm -hmm. uh, to, to help people make that connection. And uh, we'll be bringing people on, and, and we're going to have a bed and breakfast. We've got lots wow. of plans oh, for the sanctuary. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. I love that idea. Yeah. And then for people listening right now, and they're like, oh, wow, how can I support? Like, work? how could they support the sanctuary? Yes, hogsandkisses.org is the uh, link to go to the website. Of course, we're always needing financial donations, but there are lots of ways that uh, you can help if that's not uh, an option for you. We've got other volunteer opportunities, whether you are there in the area or uh, anywhere in the in the country or the world. And then what's the significance of a sanctuary? What does a sanctuary actually do? So not only do we, of course, uh, give animals their forever home, usually animals that have been rescued. Sometimes animals fall off trucks. Um, sometimes they are turned in. Sometimes they are uh, coming from farms that have been seized or uh, bad situations, potbelly pigs right now are just seem to be everywhere needing rescued. People get potbelly pigs as pets and can't take care of them. Uh, so there's just so many animals in needs need, but this is a lot bigger than you know just the animals. There are millions, trillions of animals a year that are, are slaughtered. But to be able to um, have them be ambassadors to the vegan movement and have people see and connect a face uh, and a story and even, you know, pet a or, or rub a pig's belly, you know, mm -hmm. get that experience. And they really will. These these pigs will, will come over. Ruby is one of them. And she will just come right over and just lay down right next <laughs> to you and turn, roll over and say, pet my belly. And you Aww. just go down and, and rub her, rub her belly. And so, so really putting a story behind these individual animals uh, as a means of, of helping people see the bigger picture. And, and, and it's so powerful. Like I, I've been to uh, Aquacate um, a couple of times and, you know, you, you spend, you know, everybody in this room, but we spend our lives, you know, for this cause. But it's such a huge difference when you actually are with the animals mm -hmm. and, and okay. seeing how what they do, not even just the joy that you, know, you see them express when people are loving them. But the love that the people feel as well. It's like you fill your cup up knowing that what you're doing is making a difference. And being able to have these sanctuaries where you can go to, you could support, I'm sure, your time 
is valuable. You're bringing food. I know a lot of these sanctuaries want you to bring yeah. you know, different foods and mm-hmm. always having that opportunity to go and support that. And then a lot of people having the vision and dream to open up a sanctuary. Like every animal rights activist, almost everyone that I've speaking to, spoken to, it's like they have that goal to create that. So it's awesome that you, you know, this chapter of your life, you're getting to be involved with something like this. I am so grateful and I feel so fortunate because it really does that that time I spend at the sanctuary with the animals uh, and doing that volunteer work, it really fuels me, you know, gives me this energy and this light that keeps me doing my other work as well. Uh, you know, we've, I've run a coaching online coaching program to help women like me who's had similar um, issues as me. And so to be able to do that kind of full gamut of helping individual people, helping people with with food issues and and emotional issues, in addition to helping the animals directly and indirectly uh, through my podcast and and other free resources and Facebook groups. And there's just so, so many ways to go about making an impact and and the, the sanctuary movement, and I will say that there is a big uh, push for micro-sanctuaries, which really can be as, as small as a few chickens in a backyard uh, or a few bunnies. Oh, okay. So there's ways that people can have a sanctuary. You don't necessarily need the room for a 700-pound pig, uh, but there's so many other ways that people can, can start to... Um, start to even open their own, knowing that there's a lot of challenges. Mm-hmm. And the sanctuary community has been really awesome in the fact that they are helping each other. You know, and, and when an animal needs rescued, all the sanctuaries are reaching out to everybody, and everybody seems to be working working together to, um, to do the best they can for the animals. It is the hardest thing to say no to an animal that needs a home. Uh, but we know we have to be responsible for these animals and, and take care of them. And um, so, you know, picking and choosing based on space and finances and just being sure that when you take an animal in, that's your responsibility mm-hmm. for the rest of that animal's life. And, you know, what happens when our 700-pound pigs uh, start to lose mobility? Mm-hmm. You know, one, one of our pigs has, a, has some issues with her joints already. So, you know, there's always lots of complications that are going to arise and and just to be aware of that and to be uh, expecting that is important as well. So I want to talk about a little bit and we're going to start winding down the podcast. I want to talk to you about your some of the other ventures that you do. You mentioned the podcast. You want to tell us a little bit about um, the podcast that you have? Yeah, I got the Vegan Life Coach podcast with my uh, partner, Stephanie. Uh, she is our head mindset coach. She is phenomenal. She's got a psychology background. Uh, so we kind of tackle all sorts of topics and we have guests, uh, but we also do a lot of, of uh, coaching and helping people self-coach. And that's our goal. It's uh, coaching people to coach themselves. And I developed what's called the self-empowerment coaching system, which is an actual system that you learn to help you start to become the observer of your thoughts, to realize that our feelings come from our thoughts and that we have power over our thoughts. And so everything we do is very empowering and helping people help themselves 
because you have yourself for the rest of your life, right? You're always inside your own head. Uh, and it's always great to have a coach. I always have a coach. Uh, but to be able to coach yourself through any and every situation that comes up, knowing that you have those tools. I always talk about life becoming kind of like a game. Mm. Once you master this system, and this is what our clients say, it really sets you free in a way. And it's gets you to the place where you're like, okay, I'm kind of playing life like a game. I'm not going to, there are a lot of serious things that I'm, that are involved here, but I can't be totally in it. I've got to be a little bit outside of it. And to know that, you know, every move I make, it's just going to lead to a a new road. And what's that road going to look like? And let me get excited about that. Even if this, uh, this issue that's coming up is really tough but knowing that something's going to come out of that and not that it happened for a reason, but a door is going to open because of it that wouldn't have opened otherwise. Um, so to be able to kind of coach yourself through that is, is just so powerful. And so we want to give people those tools and that has everything to do with, with veganism, but also just um, moving through the world and becoming the best version of yourself. Beautiful. That's, that's really cool. And then that, so that's the, the the core of what the podcast is about but then you bring on different topics and what have you how how did you get to that point in your life to be able to be able to coach others and get that awareness like what did that journey look like yeah interesting so I actually had somebody uh hire me as a personal trainer this was back in like 2015 I think and she said Ella how about doing an online coaching program you're not charging enough And I was like, I would love to do an online coaching program. How do I do that? And she and I hired her to help me start online coaching and group coaching programs. Um, So my first one was really more about helping people go vegan, right? Pretty simple, not simple, but simple. I started seeing that it wasn't always about the food when people were having trouble, right? It was more about their emotional health. There was a lot of overeating involved. There was all also, you know, counting macros and calories and being stressed over food and what am I supposed to eat? But then self-sabotage because you're eating things that you know aren't good for you. And I was like, there's so much more involved here than just telling people and helping people choose what to eat. So that's when the life coaching started to happen. And it slowly kind of uh, evolved into the life coaching being the main thing that we do. The food part's the easy part. You know, and and that's how we run our coaching programs now. We call it the Intuitive Food and Fitness Coaching Program. We really help people uh, with the life coaching. Sure, we help them with the nutrition and fitness, but that's the easy part. Mm. And that's how we that's how we spin it. And that's how we've had some really incredible transformations for for the individuals we've worked with that have been you know changed the trajectory of their entire life, given them the confidence they need to then. Uh, pursue their passions. We've had people start their own coaching business, um, start nonprofits. You know, there's so many things that can open up for people when they aren't spending so much energy thinking about what, when, where, how much I'm going to eat every day. Because that can take up a lot of mental space and really take the fun and enjoyment out of eating, which is not cool because there's so many awesome things to eat as a vegan. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sure. And yes, I mean, so like, I love the idea of that because really it goes back to the oxygen mask theory. It's like, if you want to support somebody else, you got to make sure that you're in a position to, to be able to help them. Yes. And a big part of that is unpacking what it is to be you. 
and understanding what makes you tick. And we talked about it earlier in the episode about, you know, whatever trauma you experience in ages five through eight, usually, and it could be something as simple as you asking to have a cookie and and your family's parents saying, no, you can't have the cookie. Something as simple as that, you're not realizing that now that creates a story in that person's head where I'm not going to ask for anything because I'm going to be told no. And then being able, being able to see that, and that's something that's hard to do just by yourself because first you have to know that that's even there. So to have a life coach, and even as a life coach, because I've done coaching as well, it's like you could spend your whole day coaching other people and then go home and be in your stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, be able to have that person to kind of be a mirror to reflect what you're experiencing. And sometimes a lot of the coaching is just allowing the person to speak and go through their process. So I'm, I'm love that you're doing that and that it's actually shifted from um, what I would say is the doingness of it, of the, the food you eat, the, what you put in your body and more of the beingness yeah. and the intention of who you are. Cause once you have that, what that opens up is choice. Yes. You get to choose how you want to be. If you are depressed, you, you know, being the observer observing, you now can then say, I'm going to choose to be in this state because I want to see what's coming up for me. I want to feel my experience. Whereas if without that choice, you're in a position where it's just the world is happening to me. Yes. Yes. And knowing that, you know, we're all here having this human experience, you Mm. know, and, and seeing it as such. And knowing that you don't have to feel okay all the time. And in this culture where everything has to be positive thinking and you have to feel positive all the time, you start to feel like shit. (laughs) If you don't, if you feel like shit, you feel like shit about feeling like shit. And that's, that just kind of complicates the situation. So if you can get to a place where, you know, when, when you're sad, you're sad, but that doesn't mean you have to act on it in an unhealthy way. It doesn't mean you need to run to food or uh, something else to numb it or to distract yourself, being able to sit in it and, and be okay with that and comfortable in that is the kind of fastest way through it really in a lot of ways. And then the tools and, opportunity and then the tools (laughs) that you have like in your meal plan and then the cook and everything that you have those are just tools because then once you have that awareness then it's like okay i'm ready to know how do i take this on and then you know you have that component of it as well so like we're gonna this is probably gonna be the last one or two questions so we talked about the sanctuary we talked about the podcast your past everything that's going on is there any other any topics that you wanted to cover that things that you're working on that you want to share with our community? Yes. Well, I am, uh, moving forward, working on a project that is really going to be working to unite, uh, the vegan community, unite leaders in the vegan and animal rights community. Uh, so I will be taking that on. This is a very new project, but I will be reaching out to lots of people and need as many people that want to be on board. As soon as I've mentioned that, it seems like it has really resonated with so many people. Just me mentioning the fact that, you know, it's it's really hard to be vegan in this carnistic world. If we're going to go with uh, the term from Melanie Joy, who's one of my one of my faves, um, but you know, her work is extraordinary, and I think it's not readily available enough. Uh, so really spreading that type of awareness and also helping people deal with the pain um, and the trauma of kind of seeing 
like I said, you know, earlier in the show, seeing the world very differently from the people around you, maybe the, the person that is your significant other, and you've made this change, and all of a sudden, you're not as connected anymore. And what do you do with that? And how do you handle it when, when your parents or your, your child is eating meat, and all you see when you eat that meat is what that animal went through, and that trauma that you feel, it's, it's overwhelming and exhausting. So both to unite the, the community and the leaders, uh, and also to help the growing number of ethical vegans that are, are struggling with that kind of trauma and pain is is uh, kind of where my passion is taking me next, Sean. <laughs> well, I, I can't wait to hear more about it when it does, when you do put it out there. Obviously, let us know about it. We'll let our community know what's going on. And then the last thing I love to have our guests do is to share whatever's on your heart right now, whatever message you want to leave with the community, and that's how we're going to end the podcast. So I'm going to yield the floor to you to speak directly to our listeners. Oh, well, thank you all, first of all, for, for listening. If you're listening to this, it means that you're being proactive about learning, about growing, about growing your own community, about making a difference in the world. And there's nothing more... Uh, there's nothing more that you can be proud of. That is something to be proud of. And it's hard to go through the world vegan when you don't have support. Uh, and it's sometimes easy to shy away and, and kind of feel embarrassed or like an outcast. And what I say is, is shine your light. Work on shining your light and be confident in your decisions because you're doing, you're making decisions that are, are making a difference for other animals, for other people, for our planet, which is in dire need. I mean, we are in a, in a crisis right now, and I don't think that is portrayed enough what a crisis this world is in. Um, and so I want everybody to just feel proud of themselves and to work on shining your light because that is ultimately going to make the biggest difference. You are listening to the SoFlo Vegans podcast with Sean Russell.
So we want to thank Ella Majors once again for being a guest on today's show, as well as our special segment, which of course features Beats. Yes, from Doug. If you ever watched the show, probably will have remembered that song, Killer Tofu. And I didn't even really understand what tofu was back, what tofu was back in the day, but I remember that song. So hopefully enjoyed it and hopefully you enjoyed the podcast we have new episodes coming up really soon you can check out the episodes ahead of time by becoming a member on soflow vegans go to soflow.com support to find out ways that you can support soflow vegans and you'll get exclusive content before anybody else it helps us continue to produce this produce videos and podcasts and all this great stuff And yeah, we're at an interesting point right now. We're focusing more so on the content we have. We have like hours and hours of content that we haven't put out. So we're going to be scaling back from events and focusing more on that and attending events still and and showcasing it only the only way that we know how. So we want to thank you guys for your support. And if you want to listen to other episodes of the podcast, subscribe, do all that good stuff. Go to SoFloVegans.com slash podcast for more information. Today's episode was produced and edited by Sean Russell. Our associate producer is Lauda Gomez. To become a sponsor, please visit SoFloVegans.com slash promo for more details. Ah!